0: What up, family? This is a sermon from the downtown congregation of Park Church. May it bless your soul as you dig deeper into God's Word. More resources and info are online at parkchurch.org. All right, good morning, everybody. If you could open your Bibles today, we're going to be in Psalm 95, verses 1 through 8. Um, So if you could flip there in your Bible or your Bible app, Again, that's Psalm 95, verses 1 through 8. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. This is the word of the Lord.
1: All right, this morning we start a new series, so we're not just going backward in the Psalms now for Christ in the Psalms. That 10, 11 weeks is now done, and uh, as Park has historically done, this three weeks of kind of transitional period, many of you are sending kids back to school, or you're returning to school, and we look each fall at the kickoff of the fall to like the mission of God And this year, kind of, I know we're not coming out of COVID in the sense that it's over, but kind of after the year that we've had, we're looking at the mission of God for Park Church, and particularly around the emphasis of things that God has called us to do together. So this morning, we're going to be looking at worshiping God together, which is what Psalm 95 is all about. Next week, we'll be talking about kind of doing community, doing life together, and what that looks like, and what God is calling us to And then in two weeks, we'll be talking about kind of living on mission together and how by working together each part, what God has given to the church and how we love one another, how that contributes to the mission of God in our neighborhoods and around the world. So let's pause and pray, and we'll be jumping into Psalm 95 here. Lord, we do just pause to ask um, not for your assistance, like we've kind of got this and we need this little oomph to get us over the top. Lord, we pray that Jesus Christ would be magnified, that he would be all in all, that we are not self-conscious over the next several minutes, but that we are God-conscious, Father, Son, and Spirit. And that it's our joy to know you. It's our joy to gather and to celebrate you and make much of you. I pray that this text does something not just in our heads, Not just academically, Lord, do something in our hearts, our emotions, in our will. Um, Challenge us, um, exhort us. Lord, if someone's here this morning and they literally just need encouragement, just to know how great your love is for them, I pray that you would do that as well. Um, Lord, your spirit is so kind because you're always multitasking, you know what each person here needs. And we pray that you do that in this time. For Christ's sake, amen. It has been a year, hasn't it? I was thinking of the contrast this summer relative to last summer. And if you're followers of sports, you know that the different professional sports leagues, after taking a pretty substantial break from playing anything at all, came back in these bubbles where players lived in very tight quarters under regular testing, and there were no fans at games. And I remember watching the Stanley Cup finals last year relative to this year, last year being in a bubble. And you see the, you see the stands, you see this huge arena and it's just empty, you know, and they're, they're propping up little posters and even I think the NBA had digital images of fans that could kind of cheer and be like, oh, we're there, except they're not, you know, and you don't have that sound, you don't have that roar of the crowd with a made basket or a missed field goal or any of that relative to this year when uh, the first game back, we took our kids to ball arena and, you know, just wiped out the Vegas Golden Knights, like 7-1. And the place is just, even though like 50% capacity, it was just going nuts. And the feel of that versus just sitting at home and watching it on TV. Some of you had this experience of like you maybe you love concerts rather than sports and that, that feeling of you had all these concerts before and then you had a year of like listening to Sonos in your house and kind of singing along and being self-conscious of your own voice versus like going back to a concert and just this crowd erupting around you and everybody knows the lyrics and everybody's singing along. And we had a similar dynamic with, with church and frankly with worship where we spent many of us six months or nine months worshiping to a TV or a phone screen in our kitchen, in our living room, on vacation, instead of gathering together. And I want you to notice, I'm not saying that any of these things are illegitimate. Hockey was still played, someone still won, worship still happened, but you all know how different those experiences were sitting at home, kind of doing it along with whatever's on the TV or on the Sonos or whatever versus coming together. There are real and qualitative differences in coming together. So this morning as we kind of launch this new series on the mission of God and the idea of this graphic being that something is flowing from heaven into a kingdom of God on earth, that God has gathered together a people An alternate city in every city, a community set on a hill that can't be hidden. And from that kingdom of God on earth should be flowing these, these characteristics, these passions, these priorities of God into the Babel, into the cities of mankind. Okay. So that's what we're after. And this morning, like two very, very basic and simple points. We're going to go to Psalm 95 and we're going to say what worship together is and why worship together matters, okay? And Psalm 95 shows us both of these things. First of all, what worship together is, and I'm gonna give you a very simple definition of worship that I think comes straight from this text. Easy to remember, okay? Worship is adoration plus orientation, Adoration plus orientation. So you look at this text and you hear things like, let us sing, let us make a joyful noise. And there's thanksgiving and there's songs of praise and bowing down and kneeling. And there's this invitation like, come and delight in God, enjoy God together. And that's all adoration. Oh, come, let us adore him. But you also see an orientation. Come into his presence, kneel before him. This invitation to follow the Good Shepherd and to build your life, your purpose, your priorities around and upon God. An invitation to come and to serve Him above everything else. So it's not just delight, but then I go live how I want. But it's not just like, okay, I'll I'll orient my life around Him. I'm not jazzed about Him. I'm not excited about Him. It's both, okay? That's worship. Adoration plus orientation now, what is corporate worship? And I may, I may slip up a couple times this morning and say corporate worship, okay? And that sounds very sterile, doesn't it? So I, I hate that term in one sense because it just sounds, sounds like walking into a hospital room and it's just so clean and corporate, right? Um, it just simply means worshiping together, like an intentionality of gathering together. So if I say corporate worship instead of gathering together, it means the same thing, but it's the idea that as we worship Father, Son, and Spirit, we are intentionally doing that in community with other people who are worshiping and prioritizing the same God, okay? So we often view worship as this very personal, some of you would maybe even feel like it's a private thing, like it's nobody else's business, what I worship, what I praise, what I enjoy. And we're actually, the Bible is inviting us to the very opposite. It's not simply a personal, private, individualistic exercise. Even as we're doing that vertical relationship with God, we're inviting a horizontal relationship that's, that's actually quite public and saying, we're inviting other people into this, okay? So, and by the way, this is not a knock on personal, private worship. You know that that, that personal private time of like maybe just going into maybe a literal prayer closet or sitting at a desk or sitting in your favorite chair with a cup of coffee or like whatever. That that time spent alone just humbling yourself before God, enjoying God, meditating on his word, repenting, asking him to challenge you. That's super important. It's just simply a different message. Okay. Because our emphasis on the mission of God this year is what we're doing together. So I don't want you to hear me diminishing personal worship. I want you to hear me elevating worshiping together. Okay. Does that make sense? Um, So the point of this particular message, I mean, here's kind of my theme. Here's my one big idea is we were made to follow God in rhythms of worshiping him together rhythms, okay? So private worship, great, but where is the rhythm where you're like, I'm intentionally regathering? And I don't just mean coming to church on Sunday morning. Let me be clear. Like you can invite friends into your home. You can do this through a small group. You can do this through what we're hoping to press into with faith and work, where you have even a vocational cohort where it looks like work, but you're intentionally saying, Lord, how in my vocation with other people doing similar things, am I adoring you and orienting even my vocation around you, okay, that's what corporate worship is. That's what worship together is. Now, the rest of this message is why does that, why does worshiping together matter? And Psalm 95 shows us four things. It shows us worship together is essential, it's reasonable, it's confrontational, and it's prophetic. And don't worry, I'll explain each of those things, all right? Worship together is essential, okay? So what we're saying is from the earliest chapters of Genesis, like even though there's no explicit reference to Adam and Eve worshiping in the Garden of Eden per se, they were walking in the presence of God. At least for a period of time, they were submitted to His will and they were enjoying Him. They were doing what He called them to do. That's worship, okay? Genesis chapter 4, it says like, and people everywhere started to call on the name of the Lord together. Okay. But from the early chapters of Genesis to the very last chapter of Revelation, we can see that we weren't just made to be worshipers of God, we were made to be worshipers in community. And you see, eight times in the first six verses of Psalm 95, we are called to come and worship God together. And it's explicit. All the verbs here and there's imperatives and there's jussives. And if you're like, what's a jussive?" Don't worry about it. It's just a Hebrew imperative. Okay. And all of those things are saying, this is not just about worshiping God on your own. And it's certainly not optional or peripheral to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He's saying eight times in six verses, this is not just for extroverts. We gather together. To worship and to make much of God together. It's essential. Let me show you two things here. First of all, it's essential to our own health and flourishing. As I mentioned in the intro, at this time last year, many of us were coming off many weeks or even months of worshiping God, and I mean on Sundays, like home alone or in a very, very small group, okay? We were tuning into screens in our living room, in our kitchen. Um, Some of us were trying to sing along, but we're awkwardly self-conscious of how our own voice sounds because it's not drowned out by a band. Um, We're trying to pay attention to God's word, but we're very aware our kids are hungry and bored and coloring on each other's faces with markers basically every Sunday. And by the way, this is very humbling to me because like for for Grace City going back a year ago, like I was usually the speaker that my kids were watching on the screen and they had zero interest, okay, in watching dad just break down God's word and just make it so amazing, right? Not make it amazing. It's it's amazing, but you know what I mean. Um, They just didn't care. So, and I I would say I've talked to very, very few people who would say that was a healthier season of life for me. I've talked to dozens and dozens of people who say regathering, even with masks, even with a measure of distancing, it's frustrating to put up with some of these things and defer to others for some of you. But most would say this feels a lot healthier. This feels the way it was meant to be. And that's because worship was never meant to be easy or convenient. Worship was never meant to be on demand, okay? It wasn't just like another consumer product that we pick up our device and we're like, okay, now that I've done everything else I want to do, now I'll go back and watch that service because it's convenient for me right now. That's not the way God designed it to be. Worship was never designed to solely be a, a solo project, I don't love Sundays because I'm a pastor. And I'm not a pastor because I loved Sundays. But somewhere I would say around college, I realized I need, like not just that I like, I need this rhythm of rest and rejoicing with other believers in my life. And by the way, most Sundays, I'm pretty geared up, ready to go. I mean, they, there's a joke that like Sundays are like Super Bowl for pastors because you've, you've prepared all week. You feel this overflow of God has spoken to me, and I want to share this prophetically with the people of God. And I'd say most Sundays, I feel that. Honestly, some Sundays, and this is one of them, I come in with kind of a heavy heart. I appreciate, John, you taking time to do that lament because the church, the modern church, especially the modern wealthy um, fairly well-to-do church is not good at lament, but we have a biblical language for it. So, so I know some of you are the same way. You're rolling in kind of like, man, it's been a heavy week on top of a heavy month, on top of a heavy summer, on top of a heavy year. And, and you feel that sometimes. I'm just saying, same with me. Sometimes I'm rolling in here with a wounded heart or even like an angry, frustrated heart or, or just distracted or even apathetic But week after week, I personally experienced something of verse 7. Look at this, where it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. See, what happens when you pray, when you sing, when we gather together, and there's just a collective attention given to God and to his word. When you're singing praise, and I know many of you, you're singing praise regardless of what's actually going on in your life that's incredibly hard right now something in my heart melts as I look across the room, as I listen, as I as I see like, man, this is like a little taste of the kingdom of heaven. This is what it's supposed to be like. See, I'm not just standing here exhorting you. You're sitting out there and you're standing there and you're singing and you're praying and you're praising and you are exhorting me. You are urging me on. You are stirring me up. And this, this works every, every way. You know, Um, many of you know, when we first merged, there were a couple gentlemen that sat back over here and they could not stop saying amen. And I remember one time Miguel was preaching and one of them just shouted out and he said, tell it like it is. And I was like, all right, I could roll with that, you know? And, and and when you don't hear that other people are like, man, I was, I hear all the time. And I was going to say amen at that one point, but I was like, nobody else is saying amen. So, so great. You deferred to the least common denominator of the non-ameners. Okay. And, and this literally happened this morning. We were just singing this last song and some, I don't know who it was. It was mostly like back over here, but there were like shouts, which is like, man, I didn't grow up with that. But I think that's what the text says, like shouts, noise of praise, And I started to tear up during that song. And I was like, man, somebody back over there is stirring up my heart in a way that if I'm sitting home just consuming worship and making an individualistic thing, I don't hear that. I don't see that. I don't feel that as a part of my personal church and community. And the same thing doesn't happen. By the way, this is the dynamic of these verses, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, that many of you probably know or you've heard. But in the context of drawing near to God in corporate worship, this is what the writer says. He says, and, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near." And I want to be careful to say, these are not clobber verses, okay? If you're watching online, you're like, this is literally the first Sunday I've missed church in a year because it's the last Sunday before my kids go back to school and I'm on vacation. Okay, then that's fine. God bless you, okay? I'm not trying to clobber you. I I think we're missing the overall point if it's just like, yeah, do we see in Afghanistan and Korea and in parts of sub-Saharan Africa and all around the world and in our own country problems with racial issues and political issues and anger and neighbor just critical and fighting and refusing to forgive and reconcile with neighbor, do we feel like the day is drawing near? Yes. So let's get together. And by worshiping God together, we are encouraging and exhorting and saying, let's keep hanging on to Jesus together. He's worth it. Okay. And I always picture like with the campfire, does anybody else do this? Like, you just stare at the campfire and just watch the flames, like, dance. It's mesmerizing, like, pitch black. And you're just staring into the fire. And you see these orange or almost like a, like a pinky orange glow to these embers. And sometimes the logs will shift on their own, right, as they're burning. And you'll see embers thrown out from the fire. As you sit there and watch these embers that are now just disconnected, maybe just by a few feet, you watch that orange and that pink and that red turn to black and gray. It goes out on its own. You can pick up the same ember and drop it back in the fire and it comes right back. And I kind of picture my life that way as like we're not being consumed together, but we're being refined together. and, And there's a passion that we're ignited with as we're like, God, I may not feel like it today, but I know that I need community, and I mean a worshiping community, okay? So I'm saying that the, 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 the worship together is essential to our personal health and flourishing, but look here, it's also essential to our identity. And there are two explicit reasons given here for corporate worship. We see verse three starts with the word four. I'll come back to that in a moment. Verse seven starts with the word for. Why are we coming together? and not just worshiping on our own? Why are we coming together to worship and bow down and praise and make much of God? And and the second one, let me point you to first, verse seven, he says, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And this is a verse all about the identity that you and I have both in relation to God as shepherd, but also to one another. We're like fellow sheep of his flock. It's not a shepherd walking around with just, just me and Jesus. I'm his sheep. Sheep is also plural. It's one of those tricky words, right? Sheep, multiple sheep, lots of sheep, lots and lots of sheep. And other texts were referred to as brothers and sisters, fellow saints, members even of the same body or the same household. And what he's saying here is gathering together in worship is not simply something you're called to do. It is a vital expression of who you are. You are part of something. You've been adopted into a family. And that family is a worshiping family. Okay? I want you to imagine that you're part of a, a basketball team and you practice and practice and practice your, your dribbling and your shooting and your free throws and all these things. Or you're, again, if you like music better, you're part of a band. And so you sit there and for hours you're doing these chord progressions or practicing your, your bass line, your riffs, your rhythm, whatever it is. And then you come back together with the team and you're in the middle of the game and the ball comes to you and you're like, I, I don't shoot in games. I'm not, a, I'm not a game shooter. Okay, so then immediately you're a liability to your team because everybody's like, okay, well, you don't, have, you don't need to guard hand because he's never gonna take the shot, right? You just give him space and clamp down on the other four. And that doesn't work. Or coming together as the orchestra, as the band, and it's like, where, like where's the drum part? Like he's sitting there. But he's never doing the thing with the sticks or the brushes or whatever. It doesn't work. Now, I don't want you to press the analogy too far. I'm not saying that solitary worship is practice for the real thing. I'm saying you were made for a worshiping community. You don't just shoot when you're by yourself or practice when you're by yourself. You come together. It's part of your identity. Okay, worship is essential. Number two, I said worship is reasonable. And I said, I come back to verse 3, which is the first reason for worship. Starts with the word for. And he's saying, why should we come together and raise up this shout of praise to God? Verse 3, for, that is, because the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. He goes on to say, every square inch of this universe is his. So worship is reasonable, first of all, given who God is. It is reasonable if you understand who God is. And part of what we're doing as we come together in worship is one of you has experienced God this week as a loving father. Somebody else has experienced God this week as a good shepherd, like providing the direction that you needed. You were praying about something like, "What is your will?" I need your leadership in my life, and He led you. Someone else you experienced Him as a like a faithful high priest, just taking your sin and your mess before the Father and just crying out, "Forgive!" And you know you're forgiven, and you know you're reconciled, and that's meant everything to you this week. And we come together in Christian community and we shout praise and we speak of praise and we share. This is who God is and. this is who God is, and this is who God is, and we're building each other up. But there's still more here because he also says, verse one, he calls God the rock of our salvation. So worship is reasonable, not only given who God is, but also given what God has done for us. And we're coming together and we're saying, he's rescued us. He's forgiven us our sins. He's reconciled us to the Father. He's seated us in heavenly places. He's given us literally the entire inheritance that Jesus earned for us. He gives it to us. It's reasonable. And this is the heart of Romans 12, 1, that worshiping together is the reasonable response to who God is and what God has done for us. Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, not just your minds, not just like some abstract moment in time and work. He's like, present your entire lives as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your ESV says spiritual worship. The exhortation here in Romans 12, one is to what? It's to a life of corporate worship. Again, come, I appeal to you. And it's literally like, I urge you, I exhort you, I sympathetically, lovingly insist to you. That's what that word means. Okay, spiritual worship. I mean, that's, that's two Greek words. I actually would prefer a definition that says it's like logikos would be related to the word word. Or the word logic. And he's saying this is logical worship. This is logical service or ministry to God. Well, why why would you say that? Well, look again at that verse, Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, therefore, by the mercies of God. And if you've read in context, you've just read Romans one through 11, 11 chapters of him just saying, this is who God is. This is how broken you are. You had no hope without God in this world, but God sent his son to take your sin on himself and pay the penalty. So all you have to do is basically nothing except trust him, Turn from your sin. Make much of him. But it's not about your performance. It's about his performance for you because God is merciful and compassionate and generous and gracious. And you come to 12.1 and he's like, "I, I appeal to you. I urge you on the basis of who God is and what God has done for you. Come together and worship. Okay? So worship is essential. Worship is reasonable. Number three, worship is confrontational. And this one deserves a little explanation, but I want to use this word on purpose, okay? Look again at verse three, where he says, and this is what we're reminding ourselves of in corporate worship now. The Lord is a great king above all gods. Here's the point. Every day of your life, you are exposed to, you are bombarded by the gods of this present world. Okay, one of the reasons we come together is to acknowledge that reality. There are all these other gods. And we can say, but they have no real power. Yeah, in one sense they don't because they're not real, but if I were just to list off some of the gods of our culture, you would understand how incredibly powerful these things are. By the way, before I come to that, if worship is adoration plus orientation, you know that your choice is not to be a worshiper or not, your choice is to worship God or to worship something else because we all adore, we all delight in, and we all orient our life around something that we think will make it work, okay? So I'll just tell you, our culture worships things like money and possessions. Do you see a delight, a joy, an adoration, a love, a pursuit, an orientation around, I love stuff and I need more and more stuff and there's never a limit to the stuff that I want to consume. Our culture worships power and control. Our culture worships ego and reputation and honor and glory. Our culture worships autonomy and freedom and self-determination. Nobody tells me what to do. I delight in self-direction and I orient my whole life around what do I want? How does this relationship, how does this next decision, how does it serve me? Our culture worships feeding its own appetites and lusts and just feeding and feeding and feeding and consuming and consuming and consuming. Our culture worships relaxation and leisure and vacation. We adore this. We orient our whole lives, well, just another, we're checking off the days on the calendar, just another 433 days until two summers from now when I get to go to Aruba, you know? And our whole life is oriented around that maybe. And family, you know that the gods aren't just out there. This is other people's problem. We come in and remind ourselves what are other people struggling with? We know the gods are in here too. We know the gods are in here too. We desire other things. And what he's saying is we come together in part to say, No, Jesus, you are a great king above my love for more possessions, a raise, recognition at work, my ego, which always demands more more recognition. God, you are a great king above my desire for autonomy, just to do things my way. Uh, Because, I mean, all week long in our heads, we're like, I know Jesus is better. But in our day-to-day practice, we get sucked into these false gods, which the Bible calls idols. By the way, real quick, let me just give you five simple tests to show you what your functional idols are. If you're like, that's not me, I don't serve other gods, you do, here, let me prove it to you, okay? Five questions, number one, what occupies your mind, your thoughts, when you have nothing else to think about? What do your thoughts go back to over and over and over again and you realize, I'm kind of obsessed with this person or thing? Number two, what do you most effortlessly spend your money on? Number three, what do you most effortlessly spend your time on? Because we're all like, oh man, you ever talk to somebody and they're like, man, I'm not stressed at all. I'm not busy. Our whole culture is like busy. How you doing? Busy. It's busy. But we make time for what's most important. And probably by looking at where does my money go painlessly, where does my time go painlessly That's what we actually treasure. That's what we adore. That's where we're oriented around. Number four, what is your real daily functional salvation? And by that, I mean, what do you rely on to make life work for you? I got to talk to my therapist today. Okay, a lot of good things. By the way, don't hear me calling these bad things. I'm saying when we take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing, it's an idol. It's a false God. And we need to come back in worshiping community and say, what am I really living for? And then five, what provokes your most uncontrollable emotions? What makes you livid, disgruntled, terrified, ashamed? And I mean deeply and repeatedly, what, what torques you and you can't get over it? You're like, I know that person apologized, but I, I, don't, I don't think they meant it. I'm still torqued. I'm still really, really bent out of shape. Okay, God's poking at something. And worshiping God together as a rhythm of life is so critically important because it confronts the reality of what's actually going on day-to-day in our hearts. And it happens like this. When I come into the worshiping community and I I just like, I glance around the room and I'm like, man, there's my brother who's battling cancer. There's There's my sister who is going through a difficult spell in her marriage right now. There's, there's this other sister who just longs to be married and God hasn't brought that into her life yet. And she's, she, she's grieving that. Or, or here's this couple that I know just had a miscarriage and the struggle and the pain that they're, it's fresh. And I look across the room and I'm, I'm thinking about all these things going on in all of your lives that I know, and I'm like, but man, they're still singing, like, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And even if I'm rolling in apathetic or heavy hearted or frustrated, I mean, just, this just body slams my idols and is like, yeah, man, Jesus is better. Because listen to these people sing in the midst of their pain. Not not because God has led them out the other side yet, but they're in the middle of it. And they're like, God is worthy. Jesus is worthy. All right. Worship is confrontational. Does that make sense? We are confronting our idols. And we're saying Jesus is better than all the gods of the peoples. And Jesus is better than all my false gods. And worship together is what helps us do that. Finally, worship together is prophetic. And I'm cheating here a little bit because I said Psalm 95. But read all of Psalm 96 later and realize how prophetic that text is, okay? So what I'm thinking with this point is in the Lord's Prayer, you know where Jesus taught us to pray, Father, your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, well, if you were to peek ahead at the end of this story, what does the future look like? It looks like, and I'll read this for you, Revelation 7, 9 through 12, where the apostle John either gets to look into heaven or is transported there. And he's just simply describing what he sees as like, this is the worship of that top circle. This is the worship of heaven as it's happening right now. And he says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation... And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, whatever that is. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Okay. Amen. I mean, so so what are we doing here now is we're saying we are embodying, God, If we're not just praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth and heaven. We are practicing that. We're not just like, mm, God, do this thing, but don't use me. We're like, no, 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 I'm praying for you to do that. And God, here's my life to be a part of that. So how do we bring heaven down? Well, in part, we look into heaven, we see the nations, the peoples, every ethnicity, every social economic group, every politic, Okay, Every vocation, the rich and the poor, all of them, with all these different personalities and Enneagram numbers and opinions and perspectives on everything, and the one thing they agree on is Jesus is Lord and Savior. Okay? So when I say corporate worship is prophetic, we are saying something to the world when we're like, I know that you have differences of opinion. I know that you voted this way and I voted this way. And I think my reasons are better than your reasons or man, that's, that's thought. Okay. We can have those conversations, but we're not here. This community is not formed on any of those bases. This community is formed because in a prophetic way, we're like, yeah, we believe that lamb who still bears the scars that we will see forever and be like, if I ever forget who was the one who died on the cross for me, it's him. I see it. Okay. And I want every week as we, as we walk into this place and walk out of this place and you invite people, again, I'm not saying it's just let's all come and be here on Sunday morning for an hour and a half. I'm saying, okay, so go, have people in your home, crowd the street in front of your house with everybody's cars and strollers and bikes and whatever. And people are like, man, what are these people walking into and why are they walking out so happy and so renewed? Like what is going, and by the way, you should be inviting them in with you. I'm not just saying like, just walk past and be like, watch this in an hour and a half. Watch the new me that emerges from this building. I'm just like, invite them in. But like when we come and go and people are watching from the apartments and whatever, we are announcing the in-breaking of God's kingdom here and now in the middle of Denver. And they should see diversity of people. And I mean, ethnicity, race, age. We dress different, like there's not a dress code. Come modest, modest is hottest, do that, so okay. But, but there's, there's, we don't care. It's like come and worship, and they see this, and we're like, yeah, it's about one thing. We're, we're just coming and we're being crazy together, and this is what Gary invited me to say. Okay, so if you're you're like, man, crazy, weird, those are the words he used. Okay, so take your take your comment card back to Gary. He said we need to be weird together. Yeah. Okay, because you, you know, like, I mean, you know, if if you walk into a situation, you're like. You know that, I think it's a Geico commercial and the woman gets like half of the thing and the phone call that's breaking up because her signal, well, it wouldn't be Geico. I guess it was phone or something. Anyway, her phone's breaking up. She gets like half the story. She rolls in like thinking it's a costume party and everybody else is like, oh, wow. Okay. But if it's a costume party, it doesn't feel weird because you're like, yeah, it's costume parties, whatever. It's Halloween. Okay. That's how we roll. Okay, when I'm, when I'm at home just watching a Broncos game on the couch by myself, I don't stand up for the entire game. I don't yell, in incomplete, and then say that other thing, um, every time the other team drops the ball, okay? Um, I don't jump around, jump around. I don't scream and yell at the, t- I don't always scream and yell at the TV. But when I'm in the South Stands, at Mile High Stadium, which is the correct name for what's over there. (laughs) When I'm in the South Stands and everybody around me is weird and crazy, and you know fan is short for fanatical, and they are fanatical, like it is nothing to like just be like going berserk for three straight hours and you never sit down. And you're not self, when you're like, yeah, for the touchdown or the field goal or the interception, you're not like, yeah, oh, do it. I don't raise my hands in worship. You do everywhere else, just not when you worship Jesus. Because you're instinctively like, yo. You don't do that at a football game, surrounded by 76,000 screaming fans, okay? Or to put it a little differently, I want you to imagine your one Italian family or Chinese family, and you're coming to New York City, and you're like, we have our customs, we have our food, we have our architecture, we have our dress. We love all these things, and those things are amazing. It's part of what makes our world so diverse. But you come there in the middle of New York City, and you're looking around, and you're like, man, we don't look like that. So, but, but, but what do we do? We come together, and we make Little Italy or Chinatown. And again, I think part of the beauty of our city is that you come to these little pockets and you're like, man, the food's different here and the architecture's different here and some of the customs of these couple blocks are different here. Why? Because it's easier to be weird together. And, and again, do not come at me. I'm not saying that Italians are weird. I'm just saying they have their customs. They have their ways of doing things. We as followers of Jesus and saying, we, we don't make much of all these other things. We do make much of the king and that's weird in our culture. So when we come together and we're like, yeah, we got customs, we got we got food like like this. That's that's this is weird people. It is like eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's weird, but when we come together and we're like, what are we doing? We're worshiping and we're we're remembering his death until he comes. And there's this beautiful, vibrant embodiment of a counterculture in like a little Italy or a Chinatown or something. That's my point. A beautiful, vibrant embodiment of a counterculture. Why we need one another. And just say, yes, we're walking in here to worship Jesus. And we're gonna gonna hoot and holler and we're gonna make much of him because he is everything to us. So again, we are made to follow God in rhythms of worshiping God together. So let's be faithful to gather, to connect, to invest, and to enjoy him, not just as individuals, but as a family. Let's go, okay? Father, we, we are so thankful that you, you did call us into a family. You said we're, we're literally like these stones of a temple that are, that are cemented to one another, we are members of the same body we're going to be looking at, I think, next Sunday. There are things that we believe as followers of Jesus. There are things that we practice that are odd. And again, I mean in the sense of being completely countercultural. But Lord, would you make Park Church just, just a local church? here and in the highlands as we, as we gather for our community groups, our formation groups, women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies, just, just fun stuff, gathering in the park in a couple weeks, all of these different things, would you give us a heart to be, to be odd in all the right ways together? Because we're just like, I don't, not only do I not care who sees me making much of Jesus, I want people in a prophetic way to see us making much of Jesus. Because you can't tell me that me making much of Jesus is crazier than someone making much of money and saving and saving and saving and saving and dropping dead and not being able to spend much of any of it. That's crazy. Or seeking power and control, wanting to dominate and manipulate other people's lives so that I get what I want because I view myself as more important than someone else. That's crazy. Lord, I pray here in a few moments as we, as we eat this bread and we drink this cup and we do it together. We've waited on each other all week long to do this together. And I know this is just a symbolic thing, but, but we are saying, Jesus, we are so grateful that we know you and we are known by you and that you've brought us into a worshiping community because this body was nailed to a tree and this blood ran down. And you gave your life to make this kind of community. For most of us, we could not say that anyone else has given their life for us, just simply life for life, let alone to give us an eternal, like crazy blessed future, home where we belong as sheep of one flock. So without any shame or reservation or remorse, Jesus, we gather to worship you together this morning.